Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Okay, well, however much you know about the Bible, or however little you know about the Bible, you will find you're on very familiar ground this morning because we're looking at Psalm 23, which is probably one of the best-known and best-loved passages in all of the scriptures. So can we get that up on the screen? And then we'll read through this psalm together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's read it together. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think this is probably the best-known passage in the Bible. I'm sure we'll agree. For about 3,000 years now, this passage has been used at weddings, funerals. It's been a comfort in time of sorrow. It's been a source of great joy and comfort to, to many believers down the centuries. And it remains so today. It's so simple, isn't it? It's short, it's succinct. And yet it goes straight to the heart every time. Every time I read this psalm, every time I hear it spoken or sung, there's something about it that's so just evocative of the relationship that the believer has with with the Lord. Shepherds in the Bible are very significant figures, aren't they? It's amazing, isn't it? The number of shepherds we see throughout the scriptures, right beginning at Abel through to Moses. We have, um, you know, a number of different shepherds Throughout the scriptures, David himself who wrote this psalm, Amos was a shepherd. Then of course some of the first witnesses to the birth of the Lord Jesus were shepherds, the shepherds of Bethlehem. God in Zechariah puts his finger on a particular shepherd where he says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the one who is my fellow or my companion, says the Lord. God is directing through that prophecy the hearts of those who were believers in Old Testament times towards a future day when he would provide his shepherd who would shepherd his people Israel, who we know, of course, as the Lord Jesus Christ. Three consecutive psalms speak of the Lord Jesus in a very shepherd-like character. And I know Psalm 22, one of my favorite psalms, has been um, spoken on recently here at Mosaic. Psalm 22 illustrates John chapter 10 verse 11 where the Lord Jesus says I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep he's a good shepherd Psalm 23 illustrates I believe two New Testament passages one I particularly like 1 Peter 2 verse 25 refers to the Lord as the shepherd and overseer of our souls But also Hebrews 13 verse 20, the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. 
who lives in the power of the resurrection and cares for his own. That's Psalm 23. And then moving on to Psalm 24, we have an illustration of 1 Peter 5 verse 4, which speaks of the chief shepherd who will appear, who will come again to gather together all those who belong to him. So the Lord is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd and he is the chief shepherd. It was my privilege to conduct a funeral service of a man called Bill Hebditch, who was a well-known sort of builder in the Leeds area a few years ago. This guy was a massive guy, had hands like shovels. He was a rough and ready type of fella. And in his younger years, he had quite a significant speech impediment, which people used to take the mickey out of quite a bit. And so it got him into a lot of fights. He was quite an aggressive sort of fella. Somebody took it upon themselves to take this, this man to some Christian meetings and I don't know how Matt would feel about this, but he was famous for heckling the speaker and even throwing things at them while they were speaking. <laughs> anyway, through the process of time, this, this man became, became a Christian. And uh, he was particularly fond of children. He was great with children. He used to throw them up and catch them in his hands. You know, he used to, uh, he, he used to wrestle with them and tickle them and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, might, I know my son Aaron will have fond memories of, of Bill in that respect. But um, I conducted his funeral, and um, it was one of those situations where his grandchildren were all sitting on the front row. And as I got up and I looked at them, I thought, I just can't do this. And as I began to speak about their granddad, all these kids together, their faces just crumpled and the tears started flowing. My goodness, it was really tough. Managed to get through it. We went to Farnley Church where he was to be buried, and just as his sons let the coffin down into the, the hole that the gravediggers had dug, I noticed out of the corner of my eye a field that adjoined a churchyard, and a farmer was just leading the last of a few sheep through a gap in a hedge. And it was amazing because just at that point, I just thought to myself, God is taking one of his own, one of his own flock to be with himself. And it was a, a really sort of moving moment. And looking back on that, you know, it's quite emotional just thinking about it. The Bible does use, doesn't it, very simple, direct imagery that's easy to understand and yet conveys very profound truth to us. The shepherd role, of course, was so well known to David himself uh, as a young lad looking after sheep, his father's sheep in the fields. He knew all about that role. And of course, to many people who grow up in agrarian societies, the shepherd's role is a very familiar one. They understand it fully. But us as 21st century city dwellers, maybe a little bit of unpacking of the shepherd's role is, is helpful to grasp some of the implications that it has for us. Let's just pause and think for a minute. How many titles and names can we think of that are given in the scriptures to the Lord Jesus Christ? How many can we think of? Let's call a few out. The Son of Man. Son of God. Thank you. Keep going. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Good. Good. We could keep going all day, couldn't we? I've got a few titles. Matthew Walker is my name. Dad. Sir, occasionally. <laughs> Mr. Walker. And those 
kind of summed me up as a person. That's enough, really, to identify who I am. But the Lord Jesus Christ needs all of these names and titles to be applied to him in order to reveal different aspects of his nature and character. So yes, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but he is also the Son of Man. He's the bread of life, he's the bread of God, but he's also the light of the world. And all of these different things bring, bring out different aspects, different facets of his nature. So as we look at this psalm, we're looking at one tiny aspect of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. One aspect alone, and we're going to focus in on that today. And of course, we're thinking particularly about a shepherd in, a, in an eastern sort of context. I went up to Malham not that long ago and saw, you know, a shepherd on a, on a, a quad bike sort of driving the sheep through the streets, you know, by the hundred. They're absolutely terrified. <laughs> of course, that doesn't quite convey, you know, the sense that we've got here. So let's just consider this psalm in two simple ways. We're going to look at the shepherd, firstly, and then we're going to look at the sheep. So it's just a twofold view of Psalm 23. Nice and simple. Let's think then about the work of the shepherd. Firstly, they have a responsibility to seek out the sheep that are lost. I wonder, have you ever been lost? In Leeds, there is, um, well, there used to be a big department store called Lewis's. And um, it's now, is it Klaus Olsen or something that's part of it? And Sainsbury's on the other side. But all of that thing on the headrow was one big department store. And every week, my gran used to take me shopping with her in town. We used to go around the market. And then we go to Lewis's food hall, which was downstairs. And she always used to get bacon and cheese from the food hall. It was a regular thing. And I used to tag, tag along holding onto her coat. And, you know, town was very, very busy, as it is now. And uh, I remember one time we were in Lewis's food hall, and I realized, looking up, that I'd got hold of the wrong coat. <laughs> you know, I was with some random woman who I didn't know and didn't know me, and I'd following around Lewis's. And, you know, it was, it was a horrifying moment for me as a child, you know. I'm in the middle of Lewis's with hundreds of people I don't know, and, you know, where's my grandma? And, you know, that sense of being lost is, is quite a terrifying experience, isn't it? I hate to tell you this, but I have actually lost my own kids, you know, which is even worse. I lost my, one of my daughters in a bookshop when I was browsing through various books, and she was supposed to be sat there as a toddler at my feet, looked around, and she was gone. I was up and down the road, in and out of every shop, shouting, calling out, must have lasted about 15 minutes, and fortunately, some dear old lady had got her by the hand and was leading around the market. <laughs> so we were re joyously reunited. But being lost is, is a terrible experience. It's not a good experience to have, especially if you're a man and you hate to ask for directions. But that word describes our natural condition as human beings, doesn't it? It's the word the Bible uses for us in our natural state, that we are lost. We are without compass. We are without direction. We are without leadership and, and help in our lives. There's nobody to save us, nobody to bring us out of the difficulty that we're in. That's the way the Bible describes our condition. Well, the shepherd's role is to seek out those who are wandering aimlessly in this world, those who are lost. And Isaiah 53 puts it like this, All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We've turned everyone to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. So the person who can say, the Lord is my shepherd, has that sense that they have been found because they were lost by the good shepherd. The good shepherd has gathered them in. And I can say here today, in all honesty, I can look back at a time in my life when I knew and recognized that I was completely lost, without hope in this world, and there was a time when I recognized my need of a shepherd and guide in my life, gave my life to Christ, and now I know for a fact that I can say the Lord is my shepherd. I have a bishop or an overseer of my soul, somebody to care for me, somebody to look out for me. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And it's perhaps true for one of you here today. I don't know everybody's face here today. You know, perhaps there is somebody who is coming to that sense, yes, I am lost, I am without hope, I do need a saviour. The Lord Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Secondly, the sheep, the, the, sorry, the shepherd is one who knows his sheep and is known by them. Often, of course, shepherds will, will earmark their sheep or put a, an indelible mark, a die upon them that they can be recognized. But in this kind of context that we're talking about here, this eastern setting, the shepherd knows his sheep intimately. He knows his flock. He's with them all the time, day and night. He's, he's with them. They're in his presence. He knows them as individuals. Hard to imagine if you're not involved in that kind of work, isn't it? That you could actually know these animals individually. Well, the Lord Jesus said, didn't he, in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give to them eternal life and they will never perish. I know them. That's very comforting, isn't it, to know that we have a shepherd who actually knows us. I mean, when I actually look at myself as a human being, my past, even my present life, I recognize how far short I fall in so many ways, how imperfect I am. And yet I have somebody who actually knows me and still loves me and cares for me and looks out for me. He knows his sheep and is known by them. They respond to his voice. Another thing a shepherd does is to defend and to protect his sheep, sometimes at great cost. We know from the accounts in, in uh, the book of Samuel that David defended his sheep, his flock of sheep, from lions and bears and other predators. Sometimes there was you know, significant cost involved in protecting the sheep. Often, the shepherd would lie down across the door of the sheepfold to protect the sheep at night that predators wouldn't be able to get in and harm them. And that's what the Lord was talking about in John 10 when he unfolds this shepherd role where he says, I am the door. I'm the door of the sheepfold. I'm the one who lays down and protects that flock and makes sure that no harm will come to them. But he also says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And that's exactly what he's done for you and me. He also is responsible for seeking good pasture for his sheep. And of course, in eastern lands where it's very arid and, and dry, it's probably very difficult to do that. We can see from the picture there how little pasture there is for the sheep. And significant work might be involved in the part, on the part of the shepherd in order to provide that for 
for his sheep. Again, Isaiah 40 said, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. And he'll carry the young ones in his arms and so on and so forth. He's a caring, loving shepherd. One who takes his flock to the places that they're going to be refreshed and renewed. He also leads them in contrast to our farmers on the quad bikes in Malham. He leads them. They follow him willingly. They know him. They know his voice. They look to him and they follow him. And those were the first words, weren't they, uttered to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his first four disciples on the, lakes of, on the shores of Lake Galilee. Follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The sheep willingly follow the shepherd because they know the shepherd. The shepherd might lead them through difficult terrain to get to good pasture. It might not be a nice place that you find yourself in. But the shepherd is leading. You can be confident that he's leading you to the right place for the right reasons, that he has your best interests at heart. You may not understand all the circumstances that you find yourself in at any particular time, but you can be confident because the Lord is my shepherd. He's going to lead me to a safe place, a good place of pasture. He also heals and binds up the the sheep. And sheep are prone to all kinds of diseases and parasites and so on and so forth. The shepherd's responsibility is to make sure he binds up their wounds and takes care of them. Of course, in our modern day, they'll put through you know, a chemical sheep dip in order to, to keep them clean and so on. But in this context, the shepherd himself would ensure that the sheep was properly cared for and looked after in terms of its physical needs. He would also give an account to the actual owner of the flock. If he didn't own the flock himself... He would give an account. And the Lord said in John 17, Those you, speaking to God, have given me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. He's a good shepherd. He cares. He looks after each one of us. He knows us individually. And he tends his sheep with great care and great expertise on behalf of his God and Father. Last week, and it's Matt Hatch's fault, I was at Wembley watching the Challenge Cup final. Should have known better, really, after the last few years. But as is traditional at the FA Cup final and the Challenge Cup final, the hymn, Abide With Me, is sung. Quite extraordinary that they still do that in these days of PC, etc., isn't it? And everybody stands. There's 80,000 people in Wembley standing and they have this, you know, this, this girl singing the song. The, the words are there on the screens. And everybody's belting this hymn out. This hymn is quite a, quite a good hymn, actually. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Abide With Me is actually quite a decent hymn. And one of the verses speaks of the moment of death. And it says, Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death. Abide with me. And people were singing this. And I kind of found myself, as you sometimes do, thinking, that is real for me. You know, that, is, that means something to me. That is actually real. That if I was to be on my deathbed, I could literally say, hold your cross before my closing eyes. 
Shine through the gloom. Point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. I could say those words, but I wonder to myself, how many of those 80,000 people could really say with any conviction those words were real for them? And it's like this psalm, it's trotted out so many times, isn't it, in so many contexts. And yet, in reality, how many of us can actually say with conviction, the Lord is my shepherd? And that is a very personal statement, isn't it? It's not the Lord is our shepherd. It's not a collective thing, is it? This is a personal thing. David's saying this, this is my thing. This is between me and my God. This is a personal matter. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a really deeply personal thing. He's got confidence, hasn't he, when he makes this statement. There's an assurance there. There's no doubt. You know, we're talking about a man who's an adulterer, a murderer. He was an absolute failure as a father. Look at his family. It was in tatters. But, you know, he's the the man after God's own heart. And he can say, the Lord is my shepherd. So, you know, if you're a failure, you know, welcome to the party because I am a failure too. But you know, I can still say the Lord is my shepherd. Because actually, it's really more about him. In fact, it's all about him and not about me. In the ultimate respect, isn't it? It's all entirely about him, what he has done, what he is doing, what he's able to do. And it's really not nothing to do with me whatsoever. This is what grace is all about. So he's speaking with real conviction when he says the Lord is my shepherd. And Psalm 23 really describes the condition of the sheep who can say that statement in reality. So if that statement is true for you, that opening statement, then the rest of the psalm follows. So we'll just look at the the psalm from the sheep's point of view, so to speak. I was up in Grassington not so long ago, and I decided to go out for a little, little wander at night. And it was dark, and I went through this field, and there were all the sheep there, and they were, they were all gathered together under a dry stone wall. And you, you've all done this, you know what it is. You walk, you walk into the field, the gate creaks, and the first one just sort of twitches. And then, you know, the other ones see one of them, just that, that little movement, and before you know it, they're all looking at each other, and then they're off, aren't they? And they were off, and they were at an absolute canter going across this field, all because some bloke decided to go for a walk at night. And opens a gate that creaks, you know. They're very easily frightened, aren't they? They're, they're, they're prone to fear and timidity. They're a bit stubborn as well, actually. If you talk to anybody who's worked with sheep, they're a bit stubborn. Difficult to shift around, difficult to get hold of, you know. They're, they're very stubborn animals. They're, they're noted for being rather stupid and a bit perverse, aren't they, in their habits. Kind of sums me up to a T, actually. You know, really does. I'm not kidding. Because if the Lord is my shepherd, what does that make me? It makes me a sheep, doesn't it? And how apt a description that is. Well, if the Lord is my shepherd, there is provision for me. I shall not want. I shall not be in want. There's no reason for the sheep to be weak to be diseased, to be hungry, to be restless, or to be riddled with parasites, figuratively speaking. Okay? 
I shall not want. I shall lack nothing I actually need. We live, don't we, in a world that is dominated by want. You know, we are absolutely bombarded with information to tell us that we want things and actually that we need things to make our lives better. But as, as believers, we can look to the Lord, our shepherd, and actually say, in the ultimate sense, yeah, I might want a new pair of jeans, I might want the next phone, or whatever, but in the ultimate sense, I shall not want for anything that I actually need. And that covers my physical needs, my material needs, my emotional needs, my spiritual needs, my psychological needs, my my social relational needs, all of my needs. In the ultimate sense, I shall lack nothing if the Lord is my shepherd. So in that sense, there's no reason for discontent. There's no reason to be restless. And David is reminding himself of that fact almost as he's writing these words, or singing these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He's kind of, he's he's bringing the truth into his own heart by saying that, isn't he? And that is really the purpose of the word of God, isn't it? Whatever the circumstances of our lives tell us, whatever is happening in our own minds and our own hearts, we can turn to the word of God and we can see something that is ultimately true. Beyond anything we that is circumstantial, beyond anything we might be experiencing at any given time, it's kind of objectively true. And whatever I might be experiencing, whether it's poverty or sickness or anything like that, I can say, ultimately, I shall not be in want because the Lord is my shepherd. He will provide what I need, whatever my circumstances. And let's be honest, that can sometimes be really pretty tough because life can be hard, can't it? Terrible crippling blows can occur out of the blue. And yet, we can turn to the word and say, I shall not be in want. I have peace. Because it says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. A sheep cannot lie down unless it is completely free from fear. Unless it's having, experiencing no friction within the flock. It's not tormented by parasites or disease and so on. It's well fed, it's well watered, it's well provided for. It speaks here, doesn't it, of a situation where the good shepherd has provided everything for the comfort and security of the sheep and so it can lie down in peace. So I have peace because the Lord is my shepherd. Again, whatever's kicking off around me, I can have peace because I know that relationship is true and I know what he says about himself is true. I know what he says about me is true. I know what he says about the future is true. It all holds true because I can hang on to what the word of God tells me. And that's objective truth. I am well nourished. Probably a bit too well nourished in some respects after the summer holidays. But you know, we've already mentioned Palestine's a very dry and arid land. But with the good shepherd, the sheep are well cared for. They lie down in green pastures. And they are led beside still waters. There is refreshment for them. There is cleansing for them. And again, you know, we can feed on the word of God. That can build up our spiritual inner man to to give us all that we need in terms of our growth and health as Christians. We're well provided for in that respect. And we have still waters that we can drink from. 
If we're in sin, we can be cleansed. If we have a need for refreshment in our lives, if things are getting a bit humdrum, a bit dull, a bit tough, we can be refreshed and revived by these still waters that the shepherd provides. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the Holy Spirit is often seen in the Scriptures in terms of water, rain or dew. He restores my soul. He revives me. There's refreshment for me. I used to be a taxi driver. And one of my regular fares was a a farmer's wife. And um, she obviously couldn't drive. um, And I used to take her to to the supermarket and then back to the farm again. And she used to tell me some little tales. And um, she, in the sort of Yorkshire parlance, if you like, she said, you know, um, oh, we, we, we lost a sheep, you know, a couple of days ago. Um, it, it was rigged. Does anybody know what that, that term means? A rigged sheep. Yeah, it's on its back. It's when they get into a little dip or a, or a, or a, you know, a ditch or something like that. And they're on the back and they can't, get, they can't right themselves again. And they just starve to death. They just die. You might have come across them on the moor sometimes, just upside down, you know. And, you know, they, they can't right themselves. A rigged sheep. Well, you know, we are prone to getting ourselves into difficulties just like they are, aren't we? You know, we can get ourselves in a right fix, can't we, sometimes? But he can restore us. He can set us right again. He can put us on our feet again and cause us to start walking again. You know, if we didn't learn anything else in the book of Jonah, if we were around for that, you know, God is the God of the second, third, fourth, eighth, ninth, hundredth chance, isn't he? You know? He also brings guidance into the life of the flock. Sheep can't just survive anywhere. They need to be moved on. They can't just stay in the same place because they'll get unhealthy if they stay in the same place. In fact, for their well-being, they need to be moved from place to place. And he leads them in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads us in paths of righteousness. In other words, he doesn't drive us, he he doesn't force us, he doesn't cajole or push us to walk in paths of righteousness. He leads us in paths of righteousness. He doesn't force us to try and reach a standard that is unreasonable for us to reach. He gently leads us in a life that is glorifying to him, for his name's sake. There is also comfort with the Good Shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, being born and bred in Yorkshire, I would find it really, really hard. It'd probably drive me nuts, actually, to live somewhere like Norfolk, where it's completely flat. No offence if you come from Norfolk. (laughs) Because you're used to having a view. You're used to light and shade passing over the land. You're used to looking down at places. You're used to seeing, you know, a panorama. It's something you become accustomed to. And I think hills and valleys are great. You know, they add perspective to life. They add richness, don't they, to a view. And life's a bit like that. You know, there are lots of hills and valleys in life. We had hilltop experiences where we're just, you know, on top of the world. Everything's going great. But we also experience deep valleys in our lives. And I know, you know, quite a lot of you here are quite significantly younger than me. Some of you may have had some dark times already. But let me tell you, you know, they're, they're going to happen. They'll be there. 
You know, there will be really dark times in your life ahead. If you've got children, you know, I sometimes think that with children, you get the highest possible highs you can ever get in life when a baby's born or something like that. But you can also get the worst possible lows when things go wrong with your kids or they do stuff that's really hard to understand or, you know, difficult to take. Highs and lows in life. But, you know, as they say, it's all part of life's rich tapestry, isn't it? The highs and the lows. What would it be if we were flatlining all the time? We wouldn't have the same experience of those joys, would we? We, They wouldn't be so intense, would we, if everything was just even all the time? Well, there are valleys of shadow in our lives, and that is a kind of a Hebrew idiom or a, a figure of speech, if you like, for an intensely dark place, the valley of the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. There will be hard times, there will be painful and difficult experiences, even death itself. But, notice with this, there is a calm composure in this passage, because it says, though I walk, there's no question of running, or sort of look, you know, hiding behind a rock or anything. I'm walking steadily through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because you are with me. I'm not on my own. You are with me. It's like, well, something that you wouldn't believe that we as parents are still experiencing with a nine-year-old child who comes into your bed in the middle of the night for a bit of comfort when they're frightened when it's dark. It's a bit like that. She's not frightened of the dark anymore as she was in her own bedroom because you are with me. That's the, that's the thing that makes the difference, isn't it? You are with me. I'm not on my own. Somebody bigger and stronger and more able to cope with things is there with me. So though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. What an interesting thought that is. There's a picture in the, uh, the National Gallery in London of Prince, uh, King Charles I, I think it is, comforting his troops. Do you know what he's actually doing? He's sticking a sword into their backsides and pushing them forward into battle. That's him comforting his troops. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. A rod was generally used to count or to control sometimes, give him a quick crack, some of the sheep. The staff was traditionally used for defending the sheep from predators, sometimes for lifting up lambs out of the flock, you know, with the crook there. And... Um, And also um, to free sheep from entanglements. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You know, I know there's discipline needed in my life. And God brings that discipline. He brings that correction. He is able to lift me up. He is able to free me from difficulties and entanglements of my own making. His rod and staff, they comfort me. And he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's abundance there, isn't there? In the presence of my enemies, in a world that is hostile to what I actually believe, the values that I hold, possibly increasingly so, we might say, in some ways, a table is prepared for me. I mean, food, how good is food? You know, it's one of those things in life that is just great, isn't it? I mean, the Bible is so full of food and eating experiences. If you think about all the major sacrifices, you know, things like the peace offering, you know, it was basically a massive barbecue that people would, the priest would get some, you know, the family would get some, the friends would get invited in. It was a big feast. Think about the Passover, another chance to have a good nosh, basically, 
wasn't it? Yeah, talk about things and remember things that are significant, important. Food, the marriage supper of the Lamb, something Christians are looking forward to. One day, be with the Lord in heaven and celebrate with food. Marvellous. The Lord's Supper, which is about to be participated in here at Mosaic, was actually a meal, wasn't it? It wasn't this tokenistic bread and juice thing that we have today, or wine. It was actually a full meal. You can imagine the early disciples sitting around saying, hey, do you remember when Jesus did this? Oh, yeah. What about the Sea of Galilee that time? Oh, amazing, fantastic. Right, now let's remember what he said. He said, let's remember him in his death. But this was part of a meal. It was a meal experience, wasn't it? They were feasting together. He prepares a table. There's a sense of abundance here, isn't there, in the presence of my enemies, because my cup runs over. He anoints my head with oil, that which pertains in the scriptures to kings, to prophets, to priests. He anoints me for his service. He sets me apart with his anointing. But my cup's now running over. It's overflowing. I've got too much provision, too much abundance. I'm going to have to share it with somebody else because there's too much for me to just take on board for myself. I've got to share it. Everything that's coming into my cup is also going out and flowing out to other people. Tremendous abundance and provision. And there's goodness and mercy. Surely or only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. All of, all of my life. Days where there is sin and failure. Goodness and mercy is going to follow me on those days. Days where I'm joyful and happy. Goodness and mercy is going to follow me on those days. Days of victory and celebration. Days of defeat and despair. Goodness and mercy is going to follow me on those days too. And I have security. I will. It begins and ends with a positive statement, doesn't it, this, this psalm, you know? The Lord is my shepherd. Definite, no doubt, whatsoever, full assurance, my shepherd. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's no, no, there's no room for doubt here. No room for doubt at all. I will, it's a positive statement. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever because the Lord is my shepherd. He's going to lead me home. He's going to take me to that place of ultimate joy and peace and security and happiness forever. When the disciples were really anxious in the upper room, you know, Jesus reminded them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house, many mansions. If it wasn't, you know, wasn't true, I wouldn't have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, with the Lord, with his saints, in a sinless environment, feasting, yes, food again, enjoying the blessings of all that the Lord has provided as our good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. All of this is possible because of what Christ has done for us through his grace God's riches at Christ's expense. We're going to remember the Lord's death in the breaking of bread now. And in doing so, we remember the cost. We remember the Psalm 22 experience where he cried out those chilling words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Were necessary for Psalm 23 to be true for you and for me today.